we think about what Tim was singing and think about the word justification. And, uh, and by the way, several other words and verses in the Bible that, that speak about a transaction being made on our behalf. Remember, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 and uh, verse number 1. And you hath he quickened, that is made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. How much do you know about the place where you live? Well, you say, I, I've lived in Humble all of my life. I know a lot about it. I know where all of the streets are located. I, you know, I'm very familiar with it, but that's not really what I mean. Maybe you're thinking, well, maybe he's, uh, considering the bigger picture, which is Texas, and, uh, you're a Texan by birth and you're proud of it and, uh, uh, and you can tell us all about Texas. You've been out to the Big Bend, and you've been every direction, and, and you know all about it. But really, I'm not talking about that. And maybe it'd be better, instead of us thinking about uh, where we live as being a home, maybe it'd be better if we uh, thought about it as a battlefield. And uh, we, we certainly know it's important to know our enemy uh, if, if we're engaged in warfare, you know, somebody has suggested that's half the battle right there is being familiar with your enemy. And, and it does us good, I think, to remember that we are, uh, we are in, in, a, in a battle, on a battlefield. We are at war and we're to be soldiers of the cross. Uh, I remember several years ago, I believe it was a song leader for D.L. Moody, and uh, he refused to sing the song Onward Christian Soldiers. He didn't have anything against the song. Uh, He just uh, stated that uh, until people started acting like like they were engaged in battle, uh, it felt like it was a bit hypocritical to sing about being soldiers of the cross and Maybe he had a good point there because sometimes we we seem to forget that we're engaged in a warfare. We are not just occupying territory. We're in a fight. We're soldiers. We're not settlers. And uh, consequently, we can expect conflict instead of comfort. Well, if this is the battlefield, then we need to know something about the battlefield and... Uh, the enemy that we're engaged uh, with. Notice in verse number 2, the key word for tonight is the word world. Notice he says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. That particular word comes from a Greek word, cosmos, 
And we've got to be careful when we see the word world because sometimes it's a different Greek word and it speaks about an age, the age in which we live, the times in which we live. But this particular word, cosmos here, is a word that speaks about an orderly arrangement, an apt and harmonious arrangement. Uh, and it's used in several different ways, three major ways that this word is used in regards to it can be used in regards to the world of matter. I'm talking about the physical planet that we call Earth, and, and it's referred to as the world. And uh, so it's matter. But in addition to that, this word is also used to speak about mankind as well as matter, and uh, that has to do with humanity in general. Uh, we talk about the fact that God so loved the world. He, he loves people. And then it, it not only speaks about matter and mankind, but it's also used in the sense of a, of a system. That is, it speaks about morals. And we could say a lot about each one of those things, but I want you to, to think about it tonight, especially that last thought, the, the system, this, this worldly system that has to do with morals, the manner in which people live, and, uh, and, and the reason or the power that is controlling them. And notice, he said, speaking of back when, before they were saved, he said, we all, notice we all in time past walked according to the course of this world. So that is true of every single person uh, up until the point in time when they receive Christ as their Savior. Now, their sinfulness doesn't manifest itself in the same way. There might be someone that is addicted to, to drugs and somebody else is addicted to something else, but, but nevertheless, regardless of the nature of their sin, as, as unsaved sinners, they're walking according to the course of this world. So I want you to think about the place where you live tonight, this world that we live in. First of all, we need to understand that this world is unified. Now, I know that doesn't seem so, does it? We look around and we see all of the divisions, for example, in the world, and we wonder, well, how can, how can you say that this world is unified? And remember, we're talking about this worldly system now. We're not talking about all of the inhabitants of the earth. We're talking about this worldly system and the fact that it is unified. But we look around us and we see, well, we're divided up, you know, whether it's in regards to religion. We've got all of these different denominations. If it has to do with politics, we've got the different, you know, uh, political parties and uh and so forth. So we've got all of these divisions. So how can it, how can it be that, that it is united? Well, maybe it would be better to say we need to look at the big picture or maybe better yet is to say we need to consider the invisible picture. Because, you know, we look out there at the religious denominations or the political parties or whatever it is that we might be thinking about and, uh, and we see that, but there is something that is unseen that we need to take into consideration. And here this word world here 
is speaking about an invisible but an organized system. It's made up of people, made up of principles, made up of purposes that are contrary to God. Are you with me? People and purposes and principles contrary to God. And listen, the world in that sense is unified in that regards. And so, you know, it's not like everybody believes like you do. Sometimes we, we forget about the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we're Christians and we're Baptists and we forget about the fact that, you know, in the big picture of the whole world, wow, we are in a very small minority. And so it is unified. I say that for a couple of reasons. Number one is because it is organized by Satan. And Satan, of course, is referred to as the God of this world. And Satan, as you know very well from what Paul says, notice in chapter 6, Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now listen carefully. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Remember, we're in a warfare, but we're not warring, battling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, this world is under the control, number one, of Satan called the God of this world. Several years ago, there was a uh, quite a famous preacher. We certainly wouldn't agree with his doctrine. He was a liberal, modernistic preacher. His name was S. Parks uh, Kathman, and he, he had a well-known radio broadcast, and so... One day he had a guest on there, and naturally he was building him up, talked about, you know, this man's great and mighty ministry, and he talked about his education, he talked about his backgrounds, he talked about all of the accomplishments he had, and then now with a big rhetorical flourish at the end, and, you know, now introducing, he said, may I present to you the prince of the power of the air. Uh, really? <laughs> I mean, uh, this Dodo didn't have a clue that he's using a term there that applies to Satan. He thought, you know, it's this talking about they going out over the airways, and this is a real neat way to introduce this guy. And surely he must have been embarrassed when he found out the truth. The problem is, a lot of people never, seemingly, never find out the truth in regards to the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. And so many times in our dealings with one another, we, you know, well, we, we as individuals, we, all, we always think, you know, about it's them and it's us and they did this and they did that. Let's face it, a lot of times when, when we act out of character, when we do things that we shouldn't do, we need to realize that Satan is pulling the strings and Satan is doing everything in his power to trip us up. And that's why he says, look, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not the person sitting next to you. It's not another person in this room. That's not your enemy. The enemy is Satan and uh, he has organized things. And notice again what he says in verse 12, because while it's organized by Satan, this world is operated by evil spirits. And 
Yeah, I know, we don't want to talk much about demons in this day and age, but notice we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go into detail as to all of those various statements that are made there and make an application concerning the political landscape of the world, but so many times we think about, well, this guy is in charge of that nation, you know, and this guy is in charge of that nation, and this woman is in charge of that nation. Let me tell you, when we're talking about unsaved people, we need to realize that it is Satan and his demonic forces that are pulling the strings behind these nations. Listen, if you think man is in control of all of this, you're sadly mistaken. There's a spiritual warfare going on, and it's over all sinners. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19, there's a very simple statement here, but it's hard for some people to grasp evidently. It says, the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now, so that, listen, that's true whether you're talking about Europe, whether you're talking about India, whether you're talking about America, it doesn't make any difference. The whole world, this worldly system, lieth in wickedness. So it's not just like, well, you know, uh, everybody except those in the Bible belt. No, it includes those, you know, the Bible Belt as a whole and, and the entire geographical location. The whole world lies in wickedness. And he said in chapter 2 and verse 16 of the same letter, For all that is in the world, notice the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. This organized, this organized system that has principles and purposes and uses people contrary to the will of God. That's what we're talking about. He said all of these things are not of the Father, but of the world. So we can safely say then that every unsaved person is living under the influence of this world. There is constant, there is increasing pressure upon people to conform to this world. That's why Paul spoke about the fact that they're taken captive of the devil at, at his will. It involves their attitude, it involves their activities. And so we've got to understand when we think about this world that it is united. Not under, not under the headship of any particular man or woman on earth, but it is united in its intent and its purposes and principles under the guidance and empowered by Satan himself. Boy, it would be so easy for us to just launch off in a tirade concerning politics because we look at that and we wonder to ourselves how in the world could we have changed from the time whenever, when I was a little boy, to the way it is now. I, 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 I'm going to be honest, I, I suspected someday it might happen, but I, I never thought I'd live to see the day that, that a socialist, somebody running on the socialist ticket, I, I never thought I'd see the day that somebody like that could come so close to being the president. I mean, that's amazing to me. 
And we think about this whole election process and, you know, people look at that and they say, well, you know, I'll tell you one thing. I sure learned a lot about Hillary. And somebody else says, well, I learned a lot about Trump. I sure found out a lot about Obama. I, you know what I've discovered more than anything else? I found out a whole lot and I learned a lot about the people of America. And that's the most scary part of all of it. If you think these people get in these positions of leadership by accident, boy, you are sadly mistaken. So many times, and here's the whole thing, the world loves to, the world loves to put us Christians down. When we start talking like this and, you know, trying to explore the ways in which Satan is controlling people in this world and operating this worldly system, and, and, and all of a sudden you get somebody on the lunatic fringe out here and they're always there. Somebody that always has to take it to the extreme. And all of a sudden you're hearing sermons about the Illuminati and this and that and everything else. Well, automatically you go to, you know, using terms like that to describe what's going on in the world. And, and you've just lost the attention of you know, of, of, of most people out there, they write you off as a nutcase of some kind. But the fact of the matter is, there is some truth to all of that. And we think about the preppers and all of these people, that the conspiracists, you know, and so forth, and we, we think, oh, they couldn't be right. Let, let me tell you, it didn't just happen that Obama become president. And whoever becomes the next president, it's not something that's, well, it just happened. No, it didn't just happen. Believe me, there are men and women being used of Satan himself. Remember, don't ever forget it. We're talking about unsaved people here. And if you, if you, I'm not judging somebody said, well, you shouldn't judge them. They claim to be a Christian. Well, okay, but I'm a fruit inspector and I can look at the fruit like the Bible tells me to do, and there is no evidence whatsoever that they're saved. And listen, if there's no evidence of life, you can safely assume the person is what? Dead. And so we look at these people in positions of leadership. They might claim to be a Christian. They might run on that platform. Carter did. You know, just put me in there. I'm a Christian. You can trust me. Yeah, about as far as I can throw you. But make no mistake about it, folks, there is a unified system that we're dealing with, and we've got to understand that that's all a part of the place where we live. Now, not only is it unified, but it is unrighteous. Well, I just read that verse says, the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now, you know, I know we look around and we think, boy, well, we've made so much progress well, we, you know, we, we've got machines nowadays that'll do things that we never even imagined. I can remember after I quit the highway department and went to work for, went to work for a civil engineer. And I'll never forget whenever we'd go out there to develop a new subdivision or something, you go out and you make your original survey. And so you've got a plot of where the property lines are. You know how much property you've got to deal with in there. But now you've got to do something with all of that property in there. Now, you've got curves to take into consideration and angles. And believe you me, I was never a math whiz by any means. And that really gets difficult. But... 
all, all of a sudden my boss come up with something, well, I, I guess it would qualify as a computer. And uh, when it's very early stages, and you could put in all of this information and just hit the button and kapoof, it would just do all of that all of that figuring for you. And I thought, you know, that is really amazing. And, oh, you know, we look at those old-timey computers now. And now, these, listen, these kids have a phone in their hand that will do so much more than those big gigantic computers of years gone by. So, you know, we look at all of this and we think, well, boy, the world has made so much progress. And... Uh, and it appears that way. It's uh, we, we think about it, it made it an easier place to live. All of that may be true when we speak about technology, but spiritually, and this is where it really counts, spiritually, we're getting further and further away from God. In all of our beautiful buildings, our plush parks, our space shuttles, the terrific technology, all of the things that you might want to mention, all of those things in this unified system have done nothing more than turn us further away from God unto our own ways. And uh, consequently, we have, we have resented God's commandments, we rejected what God says in His Word. We've rebelled against God's authority, and as a result of that, we eventually are going to incur the wrath of God. Uh, Maybe the best way to describe this present unrighteous world is to say that it's rotten to the core. I mean, from beginning to end. James said in chapter 4 and verse 4, he said... uh, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Now get this, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Don't ever forget that. A friend of the world, an enemy of God. That's why Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground. You're either going to be on my side or you're going to be on the side of the world. Not only is it unrighteous, but it's unsatisfying. If you don't believe this, and I know the world is offering us all of these different things that, you know, you try this, it'll, it's just what you need, it's what you've been looking for, what everybody's talking about, you try this, it'll really provide satisfaction. But then you go over to the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon, here's a man that had the authority, a man that had the means and everything at his disposal to run an experiment. And that is exactly what he did. And he tells us about it. He conducted this experiment where he tried works, he tried women, he tried uh, uh, everything under the sun. And in all of that, he said it's all vanity. It's like it's like a soap bubble. None of it satisfies. And finally, he comes to the conclusion, the bottom line is, I hated this world. You see, there was no satisfaction to be found. And we think about the world in general and those that seem to be on the top ladder of the rung of success, those that, that have in their possession you know, the great popularity of the world or whatever it might be, the things that folks long for, and we think, boy, wow, that, 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 that'd be the life to be able to live like that. No, it might be the death instead of the life. 
And, and if you think those people are happy and really satisfied, you're mistaken because this world is deceitful. It offers you one thing and gives you something else. It offers pleasure, but it results in pain. It offers gaiety, but it results in gloom. It offers you uh, happiness, but it always ends in heartbreak. Uh, you know, sometimes I think a patronizing enemy is even worse, far worse than a persecuting enemy. You know, having somebody pretending to be your friend when in reality they're about to stab you in the back, that's a whole lot worse trusting someone like that than it is in knowing the true intent of the individual. And that's the way this world is. It is no friend to help you on to God. It is a deceitful world that we live in. It is a defiling world that we live in. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And, and Satan likes nothing more than to defile before he destroys. And that's exactly what we see going on in the world today in a lot of different forms. Now, there's one other thing I want to leave with you tonight about this world, about the place you live, the battleground where you fight. And that's the fact that it is unchangeable. And please understand, when I say it's unchangeable, I'm not talking about what Satan can do so much as I am talking about, you know, what we try to do. been a lot of people that have tried to control the world and change the world. And you look back at those that thought they had conquered the world, Alexander the Great and all of the different ones, and boy, you know, there are no more worlds to conquer. You know, I'm ruling the world, but yet eventually it all came tumbling down. And we live in a world that is on an irreversible downhill course. Second Timothy chapter 3, where he describes in the last days perilous times will come. I, I mean, there's no doubt about it. It is a waste of, a, of our time for us to try to change the course of this world. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you ought to become a dropout. I'm not saying that you ought to you know, to cluster yourself as a monk in a monastery somewhere and just shut the world out and and not do your civil duty. That's not what I'm talking about. Sure, you ought to vote. Sure, you ought to do this and do that and, and try to make your little corner of the earth a better place. But there's a big difference between trying to brighten the corner where you are and trying to change the entire world. And there are people that are devoted to this idea that I'm going to be a world changer. I'll never forget reading some years ago about a young preacher, and he said, you know, and he ended up in a state of depression and just was quitting the ministry. And he said, you know, whenever I set out as a young preacher, my idea was I want to change the world. And he said, now I'm just trying to survive. Well, he learned a good lesson, and that is that you're not going to change the world as a whole. It is what it is. You're not going to change it. So if, if we live in a world that is unchangeable, now, now don't misunderstand me. When I say it's unchangeable, I, I don't mean that there are never any changes that take place. 
Because Satan is operating constantly. Listen, it might be communism in, in a certain co- country for a while. Then that country might adopt uh, democracy. You see what I'm saying? So there can be changes, but they're not changes that you and I are going to bring about in the world. So if we can't change the world, what in the world do we do? Well, a couple of things. Number one, on the negative side... We ought to, as John says, 1 John 2 and verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not to love people. Certainly, we ought to love people. But we are not to love this worldly system. These, these folks, you know, the, on the Green Party and what have you, know, they've got to save the world and... And they start talking about, you know, global warming and all of these things. And, it, it, you know, it's so easy to see through all of that nonsense and how it's being used for political purposes and, and literally to line the pockets of a whole lot of people that have been made rich by selling that that theory. And so there are a lot of people that are in this, I'm going to change the world for personal gain. I mean, if they got a brain in their head, they know they're not going to change the world. But no doubt, let's give some of them credit. There are those that think it's my mission in life to change this world. We can do it and we put our, you know, our heads together and we work together and we can finally change the world. We can create some kind of a utopia here on the earth. Well, the old time Southern Baptist, there was a, back in the day, the Southern Baptist, many of them were what was called a post-millennialist. These are people, you know, that believe the Lord wasn't coming back until after the tribulation, there wasn't going to be any rapture and so forth. And they, But anyway, they believed that we could create and would, that the kingdom of God was coming to earth and uh, that we were going to help create a utopia here on this earth. You know, after World War One and World War Two, and on and on and on, all of a sudden some of them began to realize, you know, our theology isn't working so good. And evidently started reading their Bible and realized that, you know, that they ought to be pre-trib instead of post-trib. And, and uh, so they begin to change what they believe. But the fact of the matter is, folks, we're, we're, we're not going to change the world. And we better be careful that we do not love this world. Now, that's, you know, the n- negative side. Don't love the world. It says keep yourself unspotted from the world. But that brings us then to the positive side. You know, if we can't change the world and if we're still responsible for the way that we live and we, we, you know, we want to do the best we can, what in the world are we doing here? Well, I think Jesus summed it up rather well whenever he said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Think about that. And we know that the whole world lies in wickedness. We know that this world is characterized by spiritual darkness. And the Lord is saying, and by the way, I might throw this in. When he says you are the light of the world, a lot of times we just apply that just strictly to Christians. And I'm not saying that there's not an application to be made. But keep in mind, he's dealing specifically with his first church. And it's the church that is the light of this world. You're the light 
of the world. Well, what, what, what does light do? Light expels darkness, right? Light reveals things as they really are. And that's what you and I ought to be doing as we operate in this world. We're, remember, he said, you're in the world, but you're not of it. You're in the world, but you're not of it. You're here. This is where you're living, but this world isn't your home. And you're not going to change it and don't fall into that trap of thinking that you're going to change the whole world. So, well, I mentioned it a while ago and the old Blackwood brothers used to become famous singing their theme song on the radio was Brighten the Corner Where You Are, I believe it was. You know, brighten the corner where you're... That, listen, that's exactly what the Lord expects us to do. To brighten the corner where we are. We are, to, we are to be a light to those that are living in spiritual darkness. We think about trying to change the course of our nation, for example. And that, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Uh, that'd be wonderful if that would happen. And uh, we, we sometimes we wonder what in the world has gone awry. Well, our forefathers knew that this was going to happen, and they told us in their very own words, they said the Constitution was made for a righteous people. It will not work for any other. And it won't. They warned us. They said, you know, if you take a democracy made up of unrighteous people, what are they going to do? Why, they're going to, they're going to vote and they're going to formulate a system that will supply all of their needs so far as they possibly can. That's exactly what we're seeing in America today. So the only, the only way that we can change our nation is what? One person at a time. One at a time. Because the change has to be something that takes place within, not without. Man doesn't need reformation. What man needs is regeneration. He needs life. And that can only happen by man putting his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and th this is exactly what Paul's dealing with here. He said, and you hath he quickened. Now he's writing to the church at Ephesus and he's talking about their former state before they were saved. And he says, you have been made alive. And he said, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Isn't that a horrible condition to be in? But look at verse 4. But God. But God, wow, you were dead, but God, notice, God is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. And then verse number 8, for He says, for by grace are you saved through faith. You see, it's through faith that we're able to come into contact with God's grace. We're saved by grace, but notice it's through Faith. And this is the only message that's going to help those out there in the world that are a part of this worldly system. And it gets right back to what we were talking about this morning. The very best contribution we can make to the world that we live in is to win somebody to Jesus Christ. Might be some freckle-faced brat of a little boy. Might be some snotty-nosed little girl, you know. It, it, it could be an old man, an old woman, or who. It doesn't, doesn't make any difference. Whenever we win someone to Christ, all of a sudden, now we're making a difference in this world. Just getting somebody to, 
you know, sometimes, you know, I, you just, you just feel like just plastering signs everywhere, whether it's on Facebook and emails or tacking it to a telephone pole out here, please don't vote for this one or that one and so forth. And, and, uh, because, you know, we've all got it in our mind. If we can just get our person in there, boy, that, that's the solution to the problems we got. No, that's not, that's not going to solve our problems. Somebody says, well, what we really need, and you hear a lot about this from preachers, we need a spiritual awakening. We need a revival in America. Let me tell you, you can't revive America. You can't revive something that is dead. Revival has to do with that which is living and bringing it back to a a proper state. We need revival, but the revival isn't a revival of America. It's a revival of God's people that brings revival in America, not to America. But as we are revived and we get our focus on the things that are of the greater importance and we do what we can to win someone to the Lord, all of a sudden that begins to really make a difference in the world. Leave here tonight realizing that although we live in a world that is darkened by sin, a world that in our mind, at least as far as our power is concerned, a world that is out of control, a world that is under the thumb of of the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, Satan himself, Keep in mind that regardless of how difficult the work is, the greatest contribution we can make is to let God use us to show someone the way of salvation. And right here in chapter 2, it's so easy to do. You can show somebody their condition right there in verse 1, right? That you're dead in your trespasses and sins. I hope there's nobody here like that tonight, but if you've never been saved, that's a perfect description of you. You are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, but, verse 4, but God. You're, you're dead, you're sinful, you're unworthy, you're doomed, but God. Thank the Lord for that. But God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. He loved us in that while we were yet sinners. And then in verse 8, he says, you're saved by grace, and this is the way you appropriate God's grace. It's through faith. That couldn't be any easier, folks. Through faith. That's simple, right? And, and salvation is simple. We, we, we muddy the waters and complicate it a lot of times, but it's really so very simple that it's just through faith. And so many times, you know, we give invitation. I was reading this week and some preachers were debating whether churches ought to give invitations or not. You know, and a lot of them go back in history and say, you know, it uh, wasn't typical of the churches of old to give what we called an invitation. And, and some of them, you know, really get bent out of shape if we happen to refer to this up here as an altar. Well, you know, I'm, I might slip once in a while and say, come to the altar and pray. But I know that's, that's not an altar. An altar is where sacrifices were offered. And I, I understand that. But, but a lot of times maybe we give people the wrong impression that to get saved, you, well, you've got to walk down the aisle. You've got to shake the preacher's hand. You've got to get on your knees. You've got to say a certain prayer. 
you, you, uh, listen, I had a guy years ago, had a fellow the name of Maccabee come and preach for me while I was gone, and I had no idea of this, that he had this idea. And, and so I come back and had a woman who made a profession of faith, a businesswoman there in town made a profession of faith. It was shocking to me. And so anyway, I began to investigate and I found out that that uh, she had come forward because of some doubt about her salvation or something. But anyway, uh, she said, I started to pray and he just stopped me and said, you can't get saved like that. He, he said, you have to say the words, God be merciful to me a sinner. You've got, you've got to say those words. I'd never heard a preacher in my life that that believed that. But but anyway, left this poor woman in a state of confusion about that you've got to say those exact words. Now we all know that's wrong, surely that you know it's not. Now listen, don't get me wrong. The Bible proves somebody can say, God be merciful to me, a sinner, and that can be a part of their expression of faith, and they can be saved as a result of that. But, you know, we look at what that man said, and yeah, he never preached for me again. But anyway, uh, we look at that and we say, well, that is so wrong. But sometimes we leave the, wrong, the same wrong impression by trying to convince people they've got to walk down the aisle or they've got to say a prayer. You're not saved by saying a prayer. You're saved by grace through what? Faith. And you can exercise your faith in God right there where you are. You can be seated in your chair or standing on your head or laying in the floor. It makes no difference. At that very moment that you trust God, that's the moment God saves you. And that's, by the way, and that's the only thing that's going to help you or anybody else. So what do you know about this place where you live? Well, it's a mess, isn't it? But thank God, thank God the Lord made provision so that we are able to operate in enemy territory. And what are we doing? What, what are we trying to accomplish? We're not trying to change it and to save it. We're trying to take out a people for His name's sake. It tells us in the book of Acts. That's what God's wanting to do. And He's using us as instruments in His hand to try to reach those that are lost. So let Him use you to reach somebody this week. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank You for the provisions that You've made. We think about the world that we live in and sometimes... It just leaves some folks in a state of despair. They just wring their hands and just think that life isn't even worth living. And Lord, help us to not lose sight of what our mission is. And it's not our responsibility to change this world, but it's our responsibility to share the gospel with those that are lost and that they might become your children and that through the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, that you can transform their lives and use them to be a light in this dark place. Bless us tonight. We don't deserve anything, but we ask that you bless us for Jesus' sake. Amen.